On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with licensed mental health counselor Heather Youngs about trauma and somatic therapy. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Heather Youngs. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing well, and today we are going to be discussing somatic therapy, the ins and outs of somatic therapy But before we get to that, if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there is a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And there is a content warning for today because in an example, uh, about halfway through this episode, uh, we do use an example that uses physical harm. So a big content warning for that. And with that being said, if you don't know who Heather Youngs is, she is an LMHC. She is also an SEP. And the SEP is a somatic experiencing practitioner. And Heather is a fully licensed counselor out of Issaquah, Washington in her own private practice. And she works with families and children impacted by trauma, anxiety, OCD, dissociative disorders, and depression. And I can't thank you enough for being here with us today. I've wanted to do stuff around somatics because I think it's important that people go through different types of therapy and somatic being a really big one because there's a big component of our audience, of everyone listening in our community who are head thinkers and they're out of their body. And a lot of people have read the book um, and the body keeps score. And so anyway, with all of that being said, and let's just start off with the somatic experiencing, somatic practice, somatic therapy. What is it and how do you use it and how is it useful for everyone? Yeah. So um, somatic experiencing actually borrows a lot from a lot of indigenous practices. So I kind of want to give credit to a lot of those. Um, it's kind of where um, Peter Levine kind of first kind of first got it. Um, but what it's kind of based off of really is just there's a lot of observations about how animals, especially like herd animals like deer um, and Paula, basically routinely face danger, but they don't seem to get PTSD. In fact, you only really see that in humans and captive animals. Um, and so Peter Levine kind of wondered, well, what's the difference? And so to anyone that's read The Body That Keeps the Score, which I imagine quite a few of us have, have read that, um, what they've really noticed a lot of happening is that trauma is not necessarily in the part of the brain that talk therapy can access. So talk therapy tends to, I don't know if we ever talked about or if any former people have talked about like the triune brain but you've got like kind of like this lizard brain 
um, which kind of stores sensations and instincts. And then you've got this kind of paleo mammalian brain, which is like, you know, emotions, hurt instincts. And then right on top of that is that lovely human neocortex. Um, the problem is that's what talk therapy accesses um, is the neocortex, but the trauma is actually in the lizard brain. And usually um, what somatic therapy basically does is accesses that through the language of sensations, which majority of us who've grown up like developmental trauma, relational trauma, might sensations might be a really tough channel to access. Yeah, that's what it aims to do is basically kind of help restore kind of a sense of life and fullness, um, basically through kind of rebalancing your nervous system is the best way I can answer that. So when you say rebalancing your nervous system, how do you go about a rebalancing of a nervous system? Are there certain practices that you start giving people? Is everyone on their own individual basis or is it something that is overall, um, you know, something that everyone can, can do and it's not just a personal thing? And, and at the same time, while you're doing these somatic practices with someone or these somatic things, are you talking to them and doing like a double therapy at the same time? Oh, that's a great question. Um, oftentimes, I mean, we definitely, I found myself as a practitioner at first, it was kind of almost like you get so excited about learning this new thing and you want to show clients the new thing and you almost feel like you're kind of shoehorning them into the body a little bit, which isn't terribly helpful, especially when folks have been through trauma and maybe the body's not a safe place to be right now. Um, so what I've kind of found is it actually helps to really inform the therapy overall. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like, it's a model that you can use. Um, a lot of it is based off of um, Stephen Porges polyvagal theory, which basically kind of posits that your, basically your differing states um, are kind of based on your like there's a nervous system correspondent. Um, I guess to nerd out, what's really cool is they're in order of evolution is how they work, but kind of in reverse. So like what we want is people to namely be in what we call like a ventral vagal kind of capacity, which means you're feeling safe, you're feeling at home, you're kind of relaxed yet alert. There's this curiosity, kind of rest and digest kind of thing. But honestly, like, you know, just like you were saying, every nervous system is going to be kind of different. Some people might not even have a ventral vagal capacity to kind of land into. It's basically like a sense of safety. It's like when you feel safe and you feel at home, that's kind of what ventral vagal feels like. I kind of liken it to like you have a car, right? And so with your car, you've got your gas pedal. That kind of is what helps you go. So that's like your sympathetic nervous system, the fight and flight. And then you need brakes. And as you know, with um, ventral vagal system, I kind of think of, um, there's actually a big nerve that corresponds to it. It's your, your vagal nerve. And it um, basically innervates pretty much everything here. So like if someone seems really cool or interesting, you might kind of lean in and open up. But then if they're not, you might kind of lean away. So it's like your face, uh, your heart, and your lungs is the front part. Um, but for a lot of folks, you're going to have different systems. Some of them were actually almost kind of trying to build in a ventral vagal capacity because, um, or I guess I would say a sense of safety because they might not have ever grown up with a sense of safety. They might have breaks that work sometimes. And then, so what, what do you do when your regular breaks don't work? You have to use your emergency break. And that's the dorsal vagal or the freeze system. 
So in a way, well, I, here's my question. So are you unlocking the trauma that is there? Yep. Or are you creating a way for someone to be able to physically handle stressful or panicky situations by opening up an area inside them and telling them if it's safe or not or something along those lines? Or is that a best way to put it? Both, actually. Um, both. So a lot of what it is, um, I'd say EMDR is kind of like our sister in a way, but what we do is we're focusing on through gaining the sense of like, I can handle this, I can do this. Typically what we call through what we would call counter vortex, which is very, um, so say we're processing a traumatic memory. We're not going to go straight into what was the worst part of it. In fact, we, we never do that in somatic work because that's considered has a potential to re-traumatize. So what we might do instead is we're going to kind of talk about what did you have for breakfast that day? I'm like, oh man, you know, I had an egg McMuffin. Oh, they made it just right. And so we just, we kind of go with where you feel resourced and safe before we go into the danger zone, if that makes sense. And it's kind of like this little dance. Um, but also by through kind of gaining that sense of, I would call resource, then you can't, you get that sense of, I can face this traumatic material. So oftentimes a lot of it is kind of unlocking trauma that's stuck in the body. And it's through um, basically being able to help renegotiate through protective responses. So let's say you had a, a situation where you wanted to fight, but you couldn't, or you wanted to run away and you couldn't. Um, and instead the freeze response was what came up, kind of came online and that's okay. You know, we don't really get much of a choice with our protective responses. What comes up is what we feel we can do. Um, so I always like to say anyone who's dealt with freeze, there's nothing inherently wrong with freeze. In fact, our nervous system is going to pick what helps you survive the situation. But sometimes there might be some fight kind of behind the freeze or there might be freeze or there might be flight behind the freeze. And so we try to help kind of bring those protective responses online. Um, the goal isn't necessarily to have you in happy-go-lucky, I feel safe all the time, ventral vagal capacity. That's not actually adaptive. The goal of a somatic therapy is for you to move fluidly between states as appropriate with the outside situation, if that makes any sense. And when it comes to... I guess a maybe a big difference of big trauma, little trauma. Yes, yes. When it comes to little trauma, what are those types of things people are discovering? And when it comes to big trauma, how do you dance with that? If that makes sense. Or, or like what, for someone who might be going have really big trauma where it's scary to kind of go into your body where you might not know what is there and you don't know what can be unleashed. Oh yeah. I guess what are the types of, 
you know, responses that you get when it comes to little T, big T, and how you work with both of them? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Because um, oftentimes we, we get elements of both. I would say when it comes to like little T stuff, um, that's actually generally where I want to start with clients. Um, we don't usually start off with the big T. Um, it's even kind of in our model that like, say you have a situation like you get bitten by a dog. Sorry, content warning to anyone who's been bitten by dogs. Um, but if you get bitten by a dog, we're not going to start like when we're trying to help your body process us. We do not start at the point where and then the dog bit me. I'd say we start at the edges and we work our way in. So typically when I'm working with clients, we're starting with the least scary thing first. And we're going to work up like basically through kind of. I like to think of it working through like especially a more big T situation. I mean, honestly. I've had a six second car accident go through five sessions um, with when it comes to processing it, because we're taking this very dense event and we're stretching it out like happy. Then we're going to take little bites out of each bit to make sure that the body has integrated and kind of rode the wave before we go into the next one. It's kind of the best way I can describe it. I mean, we generally start with little T um, and we work our way up to big T. I like to think of it as almost like a gradual exposure in a way where by kind of riding these smaller waves, now this big wave doesn't look as big and not as scary. And usually the person's um, capacity, like emotional capacity is much greater for being, for being able to process it. So when it comes to different techniques of what you're doing, um, explain them to us. Oh, gosh, I could go on for, for days. Um, a lot of what we do, there's definitely a lot of tracking. So even encouraging people, it, tracking can be like, I, I, you know, say I look at you with very soft vision and I might notice that as you're talking about something, you're your jaw gets a little set and your, your, your hand starts to go into a fist when you talk about this one thing. And I might kind of draw attention to that. Notice what is it like for you to squeeze your hand into a fist? So for me, in relation to this a long time ago, uh, my somatic uh, practitioner noticed that my head tilted in a specific way and they started to ask me questions about that tilt that tilt was where I got disconnected from things and I just wasn't there anymore. And then we worked from there. So the practitioner explained to me that I was offline at the time, like my baseline was gone. So part of your job is to observe these things. This kind of helps us get a sense of what is your baseline and then what's kind of out of baseline or what's kind of jumping out um and i sometimes we see it in people's gestures we can hear it in their thoughts um but certain techniques we might use could be anything from kind of um noticing bracing patterns in the body other things can sometimes be like when the person's you know talking about something traumatic and you notice like it seems like their feet are really are going really fast or their eyes are starting to dart around sometimes that can be a sign of like some flighty type stuff and so we might kind of use what we call mind's eye exercises which is you're using imagery um 
but because brains like things to be complete, there might be maybe a memory someone goes through where as they're talking about it, I'm seeing their, their jaws start to set or their, their face is starting to flush and maybe the hand goes in with fist. And I'm like, I'll pause them and go, what would you have wanted to do in that very moment? Let's say it's purge day. There's no consequences. Slow motion. What would you have liked to have done? It might be, oh, I just want to punch him in the face. And so I'll be like, okay, slow motion. You, you're going to imagine just punching them in their face, the way the face wrinkles, how stupid they look, you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat. Um, if it's a distancing thing, it might be, you know, we'll banish this thing to the moon. Um, there's a bunch of different interventions, though, because not everything is just fight and flight completion. Sometimes there's working through freeze. Um, there can also be attachment stuff. We work sometimes with eyes, like having people um, kind of follow our finger and see what their eyes notice. That's a really direct route to get to trauma. But one of the most powerful ones I found actually was touch, um, which is kind of loaded in the psychotherapy world because a lot of us coming from a master's program, we're told never touch your clients. Um, which is a good general rule. Um, but with touch therapy, that actually tends to help address a lot of attachment related issues. Um, and it depends on your state. In New Jersey, it's absolutely forbidden. Um, but yeah, touch as a part of somatic therapy is definitely meant not in a sexual way at all. It's um, actually, I would say, less invasive than a back massage, um, but it can be very powerful. So yeah, I have a special informed consent form for it. Um, and I tell clients that at any time, any time, if there's any touch they're uncomfortable with, tell me and we'll stop. You know, it sounds to me like somatic therapy in a way is like if you were trying to build confidence with someone. Yeah. And in the sense of, okay, I'm going to try and rebuild the stress, uh, the stress system of someone's inner workings or all of those things. So we have to start slowly and start baby stepping your internal system. A little bit, just depending on where it's at. Um, some people might have very resilient systems and you can just kind of, I wouldn't say nosedive into the trauma, but you don't need to build up that foundation per se. But in a way, is it like kind of going through that process? So you're giving your internal system more confidence yeah. overall. So it's like you're doing confidence, not for your brain, but for your body so yeah. as you go deeper into these things they're able to not just handle it and be resilient per se but able to be elastic with it understand that it is like just like with confidence you have to eventually learn that failure is an option and 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 work with failure and in the same way, you know, traumas are going to happen. You know, we're not just going to be dealing with everything is sunny and happy all the time because that's not a great thing. 
but to kind of work within that and build a system of resilience when things don't go well and then also be like at the same time things can go well so you're not your worst enemy at the same time yeah it's i mean it's it's a pretty it's like it's complex but it's definitely like you're basically building up your capacity so oftentimes when we're starting with those little t traumas that actually helps build the person's capacity to process the bigger things. Um, and oftentimes it is kind of done through a means of like, basically the theory is trauma does get stuck in the body. Um, there's a lot of theories about, you know, the, the anatomy and the structures and all the stuff that goes with it. But interestingly enough, it seems to kind of live in the fascia or the connective tissue. And interestingly, if you try to mechanically release fascia it takes something like hundreds or thousands of pounds of pressure um but a lot of what can happen is if there's been the best way i can describe it is we have these wonderful human brains that can help us kind of you know keep a stiff upper lip and keep calm and carry on um, but our bodies are our body systems are much more ancient and old and need sometimes that time to process what we're going through uh, from little T trauma to big T trauma. So, um, yeah, like in mammals in the wild, you know, if the deer freezes in the headlights, the thing we don't get to see is how they kind of look like they're having this, you know, afterwards they kind of shake it out, quote unquote, where they look like they're having a seizure but that's actually their nervous system is just getting rid of all that energy. So our goal in somatic therapy isn't necessarily to have you to be discharging all over the place necessarily, but um, to basically, as your nervous system is kind of recalibrating or rebalancing, sometimes people do get discharges. So um, I remembered one of my first sessions that I did, um, it was a fight completion. (laughs) And I remembered so much heat came to my hands that it felt like I could throw a fireball like from Street Fighter. Um, it was amazing. Um, so a lot of what I hear when I'm working with clients is, wow, this is weird. Um, and usually that's a, a good sign we're right where we need to be. Um, kind of like living back in the body, but also kind of helping clear clear out old business. And then I guess another component of somatic therapy is for people like me who are head thinkers, how do we then let our body be the one to lead us instead of our head as a way to understand a situation, truths of a situation, um, you know, alertness, because sometimes, you know, I'm like Murphy's Law person. What can go wrong will go wrong. How yep. do I remove my head from the situation and let my body lead and the confidence of my body to just get my head out of there, you know? Yeah, so, like, I guess that's the thing. Like, for a lot of people out there, non-specific big T trauma related, it's like a lot of times people are getting in their own way. Big time. Or overthinking things. It is super common i mean i would say probably up until what two years ago i was probably very head focused um i think a lot of it tends to be you don't necessarily want your head out 
it, it's funny. It's like, I would say most of what somatic therapy is about is just balance because we're not trying to get you all in counter vortex. I feel so safe and happy all the time because if there's a tiger that's coming at you, you don't want to be super friendly and nice. The, the person that survives is the person that responds powerfully and quickly, like running away or maybe fighting it. I don't recommend fighting tigers as a general rule. But, um, but with the head, I mean, we don't necessarily want it to be out of the picture, but we would kind of be like, okay, so I'm having the thought that blah, blah, blah. How, what is my body telling me? And it could be as simple as like a mindful, like body scan, you know, checking in maybe with the gut or the chest, um, just noticing what's there. It could be maybe you notice tension or tightness, or maybe you notice it's more relaxed. Um, because what we focus on isn't just physical sensations. It seems like it, because that's where most of us probably aren't really connecting, but we also focus on emotions, impulses, like what's, is there something my body wants to do? Um, meaning is thoughts. And then there's imagery, which is what you're thinking about. So our goal with most experiences that we have that are traumatic is most of us have something that probably got cut out because it just wasn't safe at the time. So we're looking to kind of bring all the channels back online. Does that make any sense? That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So thank you for that. No worries. And thank you for being here. Yeah. And before we go today, do you have anything that's going on that you want uh, people to know about or where to reach you, everything like that? Oh, absolutely. So yeah, I operate out of Issaquah, Washington, and I'm also licensed in Washington. And I can uh, send you my website. It's at um, www.hopesharborcounseling. So that's H-O-P-E-S-H-A-R-B-O-R-C-O-U-N-S-E-L-I-N-G.org. Um also can reach me at heather at hopesharborcounseling.org. Um, but also for people that are out of the state of Washington or possibly in Canada, if you're interested in somatic experiencing practitioners, um, or if you're just interested in learning more, um, traumahealing.org. Well, Heather Youngs, thank you for being a guest on our show today and sharing your knowledge. And I've been wanting to do a somatic episode for a while. So a big thank you for getting in touch with me to do this. And if everyone who is listening wants to get a hold of Heather, everything will be in our show notes. And once again, Heather, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you once again, Heather, for being here with us today. And if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And if you are someone that needs support, we here at NarcissistApocalypse.com have a support group. So at NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, you'll see a support group button. 
When you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. And inside, you'll see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We also have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from survivors just like you. And it is a wonderful group of people on there, and you can share your experiences and make friends as well. So if you need support, join our support group today. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. At DomesticShelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you are dealing with. They have every phone number and email address and web address for shelters and agencies, no matter how big or small the town you are in. DomesticShelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful free resource and a wonderful organization. So if you need extra support, please do go to DomesticShelters.org. And we here at Narcissist Apocalypse have a new friend to the show, and it is an organization called Shelter Movers, which you can reach at sheltermovers.com. And Shelter Movers helps survivors of domestic violence transition to a better and safer life. And they are currently just a Canadian company, but they're looking to be spreading into the United States. And it is a volunteer organization. It is a donor-supported charitable organization as well. And what they do is they help coordinate moves for people who are getting out of domestic violence. It's an interesting part of the domestic violence escape process, and they help you get to safety. And they also get your things out of your home and into storage. All of your belongings go into storage. And they can do this for your pets as well. Find home for your pets and for your livestock too, if you have livestock. It is a wonderful organization. So if you need help from them or just want to donate to them, please go to sheltermovers.com. And that is it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it and found this episode useful. So for myself and Heather Youngs, we hope you have a good night.